On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. A one, two, three, four. Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV, your source for all things Americana and roots music. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive, on demand content, or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. In this episode, you'll get to hear from Nashville based Americana band The Wild Feathers, or a couple of its members at least. Sam Shansky caught up with Ricky Young and Joel King over Zoom to discuss the Wild Feathers' new album, Medium Rarities, a really awesome collection of B-sides, covers, and other odds and ends that the guys worked up once the 2020 quarantine rendered touring a non-option. Which is to say, they had some time on their hands to do something they'd never done before. I, for one, am thankful they did, because what they produced is some of their best work yet. Let's welcome to the show, The Wild Feathers. Well, first of all, I'm Sam Shansky, um, program director here at Diddy TV. I'm very happy to be talking to you guys today. Um, Joel and Ricky, right? Yeah. Yeah. Joel King and Ricky Young. Yes. Very cool. Um, you guys are familiar with Diddy TV um, or not? A little bit. I mean, we um, obviously had done some reading up on it since the whole thing came you know, into fruition, but not, you know, not, not incredibly familiar not to be completely honest. That's fine. That's no. fine. <laughs> Break it down. Just kidding. Yeah, man. So we, um, we're based in Memphis. Um, we've been doing this now for, you know, eight or so years, um, really focusing on Americana and roots music about five years ago. And, um, it's going well. We basically, um, took the MTV format of like, broadcasting music videos and music content and creating a television network out of it. But we also do these interviews and all kinds of, you know, on the scene coverage, behind the scenes stuff, um, special features, um, nothing outside of, you know, nothing too inventing, reinventing the wheel or anything, but um, definitely feeling, filling uh, a certain kind of niche within, uh, you know, the music industry and everything. I think people, are responding well to it. Um, Americana music fans appreciate it. And, you know, yeah, God bless you all, man. Cause that's so great. I mean, obviously we're old enough to very much remember the MTV era when it was <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And yeah. like by some parents and which made it even more sexier and more attractive. Um, <laughs> so that's great, man. I love that. Are you guys um, in your thirties or how old are you? Yeah. How old are you? Yeah. We're we're uh, in our upper thirties, unfortunately. But yeah, you know, yeah. we still look great. So, yeah, yeah. he's older than me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I was thinking about the MTV comment. You know, like what you know when that began to sort of transition. You know, from- thing, right. Back in MTV was when they started doing like I feel like there was more like I think maybe VH1 and they started like the MTV Two and they yeah. have like, Subterranean or like we're talking about like finding out like about the strokes and the why all the the bands around that time minutes. like that was a great time where they do like the two dollar bill shows and like like black rebel motorcycle club and a lot so, of cool bands that like you wouldn't hear on the damn radio where we're from yeah uh, that were on there that you really find out about like matt penfield and um we got to do an interview with him a couple years back and uh 
I was like starstruck with that pickle <laughs> because I grew up I'm like, man, that guy is so we made it effing smart yeah. and yeah. he gets to hang out with all these dudes. You know what I mean? And, and he was so nice. And we, he actually started following me on Instagram, which was a trip. Wow. Um, but yeah, who were some other um, VJs back in the day? I mean, when I was started watching it, it was like the hair metal phase. I mean, I'm, I remember like GNR and stuff like that. But uh, right. And then I think the beginning of the end was when like road rules and a real world <laughs> started coming out, which was cool at the time. And then it was like, well, where's the music at? You know what I mean? It was just this kind of yeah. dissipated. Actually, my favorite thing by far, I think that got me in like really deep into it was uh, all the behind the musics. Remember, they used to pump out behind the musics like in mid to late 90s on VH1. Like, I mean, there'd be bands like I always hated Poison. I was like, man, Poison's the worst band of all time. And then I watched like the uh, behind the music. I'd be like, well, they're kind of hard workers, you <laughs> yeah. know? Like, I mean, I'm not, okay, you yeah, know, like I see guys. where they're coming from. Yeah. You know, like it's time and place type thing. Ricky Rabbit's but, a pretty good drummer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's like just any sort of music shows. That's uh, just what we gravitate towards. Yeah. Like, or it chooses you type thing. Right. And it's like, this is my thing. I'm into this. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, well, that matches up with your description as the band's, uh, you know, archivist, I believe is what I've heard you described as the official uh, band archivist. How did you earn that title and what exactly does that mean? Uh, <laughs> I'll take this one because he is so like thorough with like logging and collecting and keeping everything. We do all of our demos here uh, and rehearse and we keep, you know, it's like our merch headquarters. It's where we, like the van or the bus will leave yeah. from. It's just a central location. It's kind of like our Wilco loft. Got it. Yep. Uh, you know, minus $8 minus, million. Dollars yeah, like minus deal. cool gear and money and, and a great spot. And success. <laughs> but, uh, so he, uh, he's really good at that. And we, like I said, we do all the yeah. recording stuff here. We're sitting kind of at his like console desk thing. And so we just have hard drives here. Um, so once our kind of our – we're both dads and we both have three-year-olds. So once our kids kind of started going to school and like, you know, during the day freed up a lot of time when we're at home off the road, especially this year. Uh, well, we always write at least 30 or 40 songs for every record. It's just the way it works out for good or for bad. So we have these songs demoed or, you know, some songs we record for a record as like a bonus or like a deluxe edition thing. And they don't quite make that record. Well, we have those masters. So we kind of came up with the idea of putting out a record like a rarities thing. Um, because being music fans, we like when bands that we like put that kind of stuff out. Yeah. So like, why don't we do something like that? You know, especially back in the early days, it was like you could not, no one was doing anything. Uh, so he just started going through them and, and compiling like sequences. Um, and we started like emailing them around. We're like, man, that sounds yeah great. That's like, it's like a cool record. So we decided to do that thanks to him. And then we decided, well, hell, we can do like volumes of this, you know, because, you know, we're about to go in and make another record here, hopefully this um, winter and, you know, finish in the spring. But um, we've already written, you know, 20 plus songs um, yeah. already. So there's going to be a lot more to add to the already big list. Yeah. Just happens to, you know, it's everything's got to be somewhere. So uh, <laughs> we actually, I think it's because of the, co I mean, really we started the co when COVID really hit and we couldn't do anything. It's like, we recorded a couple of songs and like, we were planning on doing our own thing, making our own record and all that stuff. 
And they're like, well, we have all these songs, so maybe it's a good time to like put them out and put a cap on it. It's been like 10 years since the band started really. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it just kind of, it even, it was just the best, those are the best recordings of the, uh, of the B sides and whatnot. So mm-hmm. it ended up just, it ended up working out for, uh, COVID ended up working out great for us, but, uh, <laughs> not so really. far. Um, but yeah, any other circumstances, we wouldn't have done it. We were just like, ah, we're just going to make another record and screw it. Be the past is the past. And, uh, but it is, there's always in the back of your mind, like, because, you know, they're not the worst songs. It's just a lot of the time when you're making a record, it flows. Kind of like the new Tom Petty thing, you know? Like, some of those songs are the greatest uh, of the whole record, and they weren't put on there. But, you know, Tom and Rick Rubin, they were like, well, this is the best sequencing flow for this type of record. So we weren't like, these aren't the crappiest songs we have. And we've no, got, we've got those on a hard drive too. Yeah. Those will never be heard. But the, uh, <laughs> but in the back of your head, you're always like one day, one day we'll put this thing out. And, but then you never do because you're busy with your new shit and you know, so, or if I'm cuss on here, but yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so you're always, cause everybody knows that the last song you wrote is the best song you've ever written, you know? So you don't really go back very often. So I guess just because the, uh, you know, the plague, we got to go back and, and put it all out and we kind of all got it mastered. So they sound cohesive. And uh, I mean, even having the idea like in April or whatever, it takes this long to get everything okay to like, I mean, we don't, some of the ones we own the rights to, some of them we didn't, you know, because they were paid for by other people. And so we had to get everything all stamped and approved. So it takes that long to get something out. Mm-hmm. But, and he would send some songs and like I was singing. I was like, I don't remember uh, doing that at all. He goes, well, who wrote it? I, like, I don't remember writing it. And so, cause it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. Uh, and that's why, you know, him being very on top of the, the vault hard drives and all that's very important. Cause I feel like all, all of us would be like, oh, I got this voice memo from like, yeah, you know, 10 years ago. So it's been helpful. And of course we're talking about your, uh, your new album, medium rarities. It's a collection of, uh, you know, unreleased demos and B-sides and covers and some originals as well. Um, a song like Marie, uh, Ricky, you wrote that song years ago, right? For one of your previous albums. It didn't make the cut. Um, how does it feel to see that finally see the, the light of day? It's like seeing your firstborn walk across the stage at graduation or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, um, I, I wrote that right before going into the studio for the very first album. Uh, and I thought it was great. And the band loved it. Uh, and they definitely made it a, a, a complete song and a better song. I mean, I, I wrote it, but it, you know what I mean? Like the band recorded it and made it a while better song. But kind of like what Joel was saying earlier, it just didn't really find a spot on that first record because – you know, whether it be a tempo thing or a feel thing or whatever, it might be too similar or, you know. Yeah, it's just like three songs that sound alike. Mm-hmm. And you got to say like, well, don't want to put all three on there. You know? right. Especially because we did like 16 songs on our first record. So like, uh, right. I think we ended up putting out only 14 and the Marie and Heartbreak are the last two. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, because we even, even for the second ones, uh, we put out like a deluxe thing and then there was like an import and a, and a, a uh, record store day and then a different placements uh, soundtrack thing that we used the other two because we had four extras. So these two Marie and our break were, we hadn't used them yet. And, uh, and yeah, not because they weren't good. It's because uh, <laughs> they didn't find the right place on the record. Yeah. 
And then by the time you do your second record, you just don't even want to hear your old songs. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's, that's in the past. And a song like My Truth, um, my understanding is you guys wrote that sort of collectively uh, on, on a writing retreat. I'm curious about the writing retreat and uh, how, how often those happen or what that really means. And, uh, you know, well, that one wasn't on a writing retreat. That was with a friend of ours in town. OK. Um, we just met up with kind of on a whim one day and wrote it. And like Joel said, I think I read in some press thing that like <laughs> we wrote it in like 30 or 45 minutes. Yeah. That can't be good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and then once again, we listened to the demo a while later. It's like, man, that's a really great song. Cause you, once you're kind of done, you kind of clock out for the day. Unless it's yeah. like, let it be or something you kind of forget about. <laughs> yeah. And um, so we started listening to us like, man, we should do a proper recording of that. So with my truth, Joel and I wrote a song in Mexico um, we're at a friend's wedding and uh, got this really sweet, cheap villa type thing. And that was more like a writing retreat a little bit because we were there just partying. We, we for turned a it into one. Yeah. Turned it into one. Oh, yeah. that's the writing retreat I was talking about, right? Down in Mexico yeah. party. We're there to play for our, our front of house guy's wedding. So just, we have just acoustic, just acoustic for like and do that stuff. Like, uh, and so we had our guitars there and we, and me and Ricky can't speak a lick of Spanish <laughs> like the other guys. So we were kind of like, we couldn't really maybe one block around the place or whatever right. but it wasn't and it wasn't like paradise mexico this is like middle this is like desperado once upon a time in mexico it was beautiful but yeah it was very like non-touristy and know? yeah and we wrote good night because uh we kind of been playing around with it but it's like we don't write have that many love songs and uh and so in the mood of the time and everything and that was more like those writing retreats we see those writing retreats all the time we never get invited yeah for to them, but was party too much. yeah and my truth was another thing with brett james we had written some other stuff not that never was a wild feather thing with him and we saw him at the airport and he was like well, why don't you come on by uh next tuesday or whatever it was and uh and i got like, ah, why not and went there and it's seriously like an hour and it was just like banged out i was like all right that was that was fun probably nothing you know because that kind of thing happens all the time maybe somebody else will cut it or maybe get a cut somewhere and then everybody was kind of like uh, the demo was really good, you yeah. know, like, um, so yeah, that kind of just snowballed. We weren't like, we weren't really like, we got to do this, you know? Gotcha. Cool. Well, um, what about Blue? That song, I mean, Tomorrow the Green Grass, I want to know about the significance of that album for you guys. Uh, maybe like if you remember, remember when you first heard it, uh, it dates back to 95, I think. So, I mean, it's probably been with you a long time, but, you know, to finally put out your put your stamp on it and put it out. Um, it stands out. It's really strong. I mean, it's definitely you guys, but uh, it's, it's a song that allowed you to showcase your talents, um, but, uh, with, you know, in a way that's familiar to fans and everything. So, yeah, I can, I, well, I can start from the very beginning. Well, that's the first, like one of the first songs we ever recorded. Uh, and that was out for when we were trying, me and Ricky went out to uh, demo some songs for Interscope Records. It was like, Late okay. 2009, early 2010, and Jimmy Iovine, which we ended up signing with for about six or eight months and then getting dropped right off the bat. Okay. <laughs> but he's like, you guys, uh, he's like, he wanted to hear a cover. And we, and we were like, all right. Well, when we first started playing together, we straight up wanted to sound exactly like tomorrow. Still, Still, Still try to, strive for it every day. <laughs> and I mean, just, and Gary, I mean, we've written songs to them and we became, yeah. they cut one of our songs. It's been a great relationship. Good. But uh, it was, that's what we really, 
thought the Wild Feathers were going to be like from day one. And that's why we chose that song. And the fact that, like, we got to do it at Sound City. Dave Cobb was like, we, he was producing that. And we were like, uh, he was like, what do you think I'll do at Sound City? He was like, are you serious? Like, damn the torpedo. This is before Grohl had the board and everything. Okay. Right, all the original stuff. Right before it shut down. He got, it was like a year or so and uh, later when he snagged that board from out of there. Wow. And so it was kind of like, that's another one of those things. Interscope paid for that whole thing, but we didn't know if we could use it or what. And we've always wanted to put that version out. Still don't really know. And we still don't know, yeah, <laughs> but how tricky, how loose that is. They're probably calling I'm sure Ivan's really checking it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ball feathers owe me money. Yeah, yeah. So the, um, that was like a really a dream come true because, A, that's exactly how we wanted to sound. And, and if we have to do a cover, might as well do a cover of this. And we were a brand new band, so we were just – finding our own. We only had like a couple songs, which were like, left my woman. <laughs> or a lot of the songs on our first record, but, and, and the Jayhawks are, I mean, they've always been, I've always thought they were the epitome of Americana and stuff. I mean, yeah. More so than a lot of the people, like more so than a lot of bands that, you know, claim to be. And they never the really quite got the attention, in my opinion, that they deserve. You yeah, know, they, that's they, for sure. Isn't that kind of part of the appeal as well? Yeah, and it may, is, it maybe some of that's intentional. If I someone don't know. thinks that we wrote Blue, I will be like, great. cool, we did. Yeah. That was a great song we wrote. Yeah, it, was, <laughs> it was a tough one. Yeah. Very tough but one. it was a, a complete full circle, badass feeling. Um, the day we put it out, Gary Loris texted me and said, man, it sounds great. Good work. Oh, like, man. The most bizarre thing ever. You know what I mean? Because we've been friends and yeah. worked with him for years now, but... Yeah. For some reason, it felt like I was like 19 again, listening, you know, to rainy day music, and like that dude just texted me on my phone. Uh, but yeah, we've written we've written him a handful of times, and one of the songs that we wrote with him, they put on their record two records, yeah, which was a whole nother. That was a trip. And also remember, because he came out and we like uh, he's like, oh come on, let's do some songs together on stage and stuff like that. And for the for over the past like 10 years or so. But every time, or maybe once, or we asked him once, and when we asked him ever again, it was like, dude, let's do Blue tonight, before he knew we'd recorded it. And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, every time I do, of course. That's like, I mean, whatever. Nobody wants to go play their damn hit song. But like, right. no, dude, let's just do uh, All on the Watched Out or something. Right. You know, like, <laughs> they don't want to do Blue. But maybe this time, now that we put it out, maybe he'll want to do it. Yeah, maybe. He's like, you guys are playing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you probably hate our version. Well, those guys go way back, I mean, to the 80s, right? But, I mean, you guys claim bands like the Eagles and Petty um, as big influences, which takes it even further back. And I'm curious about, you know, a band like yourselves, you know, you're on 10 years now, uh, coming up in the 2010s, 2020. And times are so different now, you know, you're in your 30s. Um, it must be pretty surreal to be continuing in the footsteps of, of these greats and seeing yourselves collaborating with people that you've looked up to, you know, most of your lives and um, to be able to have such a loyal fan base, to be able to sell out, you know, venues like the Ryman and um, just find yourselves at this point reflecting on things, you know, it must just be a really interesting time beyond everything else that's going on in, in 2020, just personally for you guys. Yeah. Yes, yeah, we've, we've been really fortunate. I mean, you know, there's no telling, not because of COVID or whatever, but there's just no telling where music with guitars and drums is heading and what kind of future that is. And we may 
be on the last little wave of it for a long time. <laughs> I don't know. But regardless, we're proud to be able to do this and like live out some of those childhood dreams and get to do it for a living, at least for now. Yeah. We'll see how next year goes. <laughs> after this, it's a long way to hold on. After this financial hit. But um, yeah, it's, 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 we're, very, we're very fortunate that we get to do this. And, you know, and even when it's bad, it's better than a good job, normal job. So yeah. and, it's, it's been a trip. And also putting like the, as far as this record goes, it's kind of nice to put a cap on 10 years or whatever. You know, we didn't even think about it being 10 years. We didn't really know until we started like looking back on when did we record that? I think that was like, or we got together in 2009 and started writing, me and Ricky, but the band really didn't start till 2010. And uh, so it was kind of that, and we recorded with Warner Brothers until now. So it was like, I like to flush all those songs out that we had done under their regime and uh, and get those out there. Uh, and because it's like, I mean, everybody knows this is the new normal, This is, but it's also for bands, the new normal. Like, like we really want to do, we've, we've made a lot of, records in some of the greatest studios in the world and now we're like no we need to go out to a cabin and and get do like we just want to do all the things that like i said before like uh behind the music you see all your favorite bands do you know like you just want to live the fucking dream you know and that's what we're trying to do and but living the dream doesn't mean like money to us it means like the freedom i guess it's just freedom to do whatever you want and we've always from day one wanted to be a band with a catalog you know we didn't want to be a band with like two CDs. Right. That's why like a rarities and B sides kind of thing is very cool for us because it's like a checked box. And you know, we want to do double albums. We did we've done a live album. We want to do more live albums. Stuff like that where it's like our life's work when it's all over, like wow, they had like this amazing catalog full of stuff for good or bad, whatever, but it's a lot to choose from and Mm -hmm. to enjoy. So we always set out, you know, from day one, set out to be that kind of band. Um, and fortunately, you know, we didn't, ha- we haven't had like major success, especially early on, where we're just kind of trying to chase that again. You know, it's yeah. always been kind of a slow, you know, uh, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so. And the, and our live show, which we, we say this all the time, most but. Uh, we're like, man, you know what? People don't sell that many records or whatever, but like, we can play, always play live or sell out and tour, and that's how we make money and uh, different things. And then, like, so, like, they'll never take that away from us. They're never going to take that touring away from us. And then, like, oh, shit, man. Fuck, we can't tour. <laughs> we better think about something to do. And so, yeah, let's scrape up all of our old recordings that we haven't put out. But, yeah. So, I mean, just doing anything and everything we can just to be musicians and artists and and rock and rollers. <laughs> <laughs> got to keep creating yeah lord knows we can't do anything else and, yeah. and manual labor sucks so it is worst <laughs> what were some some prized box sets and uh you know live albums that you guys got your hands on early on that you look back on and you're like this is kind of inspiration for us uh, um as far as uh well you know the first like wayland record i ever got was live 77 um and i don't know you know a lot of um was it running on empty that was a lot of live recordings yeah running on empty was one that we that's another one we're going to do too sooner or later in the arc of the band is yeah. where that's just the live version is the version right yeah, yeah that's right and zeppelin did like, some of that stuff too i think with like taking guitar parts from like a live show and then 
putting it in heartbreaker. Know, yeah, yeah. Heartbreaker. And, and so I can't really think of anything off the top of my head. Um, That's fine. Yeah, I mean the uh, um, Oasis's double live record is is immaculate. Uh, from the Muddy Banks of Wickershaw, everybody had that one, right? The right. Nirvana one, and also that's another one. Oasis and Nirvana both had Insisticide, which was their B side record, mm-hmm. which nobody kind of knew. And then uh, uh, Oasis had one too, a B side. Um, I don't know if that was the Master Plan or Aquas or something like that. But. And as far as like live albums go, I mean we live in Nashville, and everyone you know. Like, oh, sold out four nights in a row with the Ryman. It's like, sweet, man. We did one. <laughs> but uh, like right. Jason Isbell is like, I'm doing 41 days straight at uh, the Ryman. You know, That's a big sh- box set. That's two a shows a day. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of like if you had the opportunity to play that, you might as well um, capture it and, and you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a few of the ones I think are just the crappier live recordings sometimes to me sound a little bit better, though. Like – you know, some live recordings you get, and it's just like, this just sounds too good. Like, it just sounds like the record. But then, like, uh, John Prine's 79 is what I uh, listened to about a year ago. I was way into that. And um, uh, all the Dylan bootleg stuff, all those, I mean, there's a million of them now, but they're just so great. Like, even when he's. And even, even hard to listen to. Even 66, like, when it's really hard to listen to, it's fun to listen to. But it's like, man, listen to that, dude. It's like. You listen for a different reason, I guess, than, uh, you know, like in similar with the Prime thing, like when he introduced himself as Johnny Cash. I'm Johnny Cash. Like, you know, like you listen for those type of things. You know how the song goes. You know, you want those little extra nuggets in there. Yeah. It's a good way to get to know an artist and hear them, you know, being authentic. People use that word a lot, but those moments in between the songs on a live album when they're yelling something out to the bassist or whoever, you know, those are those moments you look for and you really feel like that was special and, uh, I got to be a part of it, you know. They brought you into that, so that's cool. And I hope I- we saw Ryan Adams at live at Carnegie Hall, and uh, at, when we were in New York, we just happened to be there. He did like two or three nights, and then for record store day, he put out the Carnegie Hall. And people were like, it's like a badge of honor. We're like, have you heard it, man? It's so great. And I was like, dude, I was there. That's me crying in the background, <laughs> uh, like it was the, so at good. the nosebleeds back there, just weeping. But uh, yeah. Um, Anyway, that's, a, that's another one. Yeah. I didn't realize there's so many great records. We, did, um, we do a thing here at, at Diddy TV that's like a on this day in history sort of bit. And uh, I do a lot of research for that. And I was researching the Rolling Stones put out a live album that was like, uh, get your yah-yahs out. Yeah. And it was talking about how yeah. Jimi Hendrix was like there for that. And, uh, you know, I think he like wow. even did like some sort of backstage thing that ended up on the record I, I haven't listened to it yet but i just read about it yesterday and i was like this is cool i need to go back and listen to this one yeah that's, that's awesome. a classic live record yeah damn yeah so you guys mentioned you guys mentioned uh working with dave cobb um way back when a lot's changed for him obviously in the world of uh of his life and everything but uh someone else that you worked with was uh jay joyce and um for people that are listening and watching, could you uh, tell us who Jay Joyce is and what it meant to work with him? He's just a phenomenal producer and musician. Um, kind of like we've always, I mean, he's been called this by a lot of people, kind of like just a mad scientist. Um, the first record we did with him, we've done, we've done, we did all three Warner records. Right? Okay. Um, the first one we did, he had, 
a house on the west side of Nashville, but it was basically a studio. He's kind of like slept like in a laundry room or something. I'm sure it was a bedroom. <laughs> the whole house and, and especially the bottom floor was, you know, um, designed and built for recording. It was a real deal situation. And then in the, in that process, he was shopping to buy a church on that first record. Uh, and we were just thinking, man, that'd be so cool. If we do another record with him. He'll have this church. So he found one right next to five points. Um, it's like four blocks, five blocks away. Uh, this massive, I think it was an old Presbyterian church. Um, and he bought it and it's literally like the entire sanctuary is where he tracks everything. There's a huge console out there, kind of Daniel Lenoir style where it's like, there's no booths or glass. It's everyone's like headphones and, and tracking in this main sanctuary with enormous ceilings and stained glass windows. And it was, it was completely awesome. Every, like, you can't help but sound like when the levee breaks, when you play it, because it's like, <laughs> it's just so big and nasty yeah. but then you know of course he has designated rooms for like you know isolation and stuff like that and then so that's heaven and then uh, the basement well the first floor or whatever is hell and it's a whole <laughs> nother studio it's pretty much the same studio from his old house it's a replica yeah. of his old house uh studio with like the different ssl board and and I don't know what's all changed since, but it's like Willy Wonka, but for music, it's pretty good. It's just insane. Anything you can think of, he has like seven of them, and it's just <laughs> like a playground for guys like us. Uh, yeah. And everything he ever did with us. First of all, we love him as a human being, so it was a blast. Uh, and he gets the best and worst out of you because that, that's how smart he is. He knows how to work you um, and get what he wants out of you. So we did Lonely is a Lifetime with him as well, and also um, Greetings from a Neon Frontier. Um, and he's, he's just great. I mean, he, he has this, like, he finds this rhythm. And, and if you're, like, um, alert and, and watching for it, all of a sudden everything's buzzing. And the whole room, and you're like, oh, I'm doing this too. And like, how's this happening? And then everyone's like, you can look throughout the whole entire room and everyone's doing something. Like engineers are going crazy and it doesn't last long, but before you know it, whoa, that just happened. And there was a lot of moments like that with him. It, it was just something to yeah. watch, let alone be a part of. Um, so we, you know, we did three records with him, um, enjoyed every bit of it. And now I think what we're going to do is we're going to move forward and we're going to produce our next record on our own. At least that's our plan. We'll see. Um, you know, we've been doing it for many years yeah. before the wild feathers making records. And then for the past 10 years doing it. So we've been taking notes and <laughs> we've been um, learning a lot on the process and it doesn't have to be a $200,000 budget to make a great sounding record. Um, yeah. And we've acquired a lot more. Those don't gear. exist anymore either. Right. So. <laughs> we've acquired a lot more gear and stuff like that. We're about to, you know, acquire some more. And basically we've always had this like romantic vision of writing and recording our records in desolate places away from everything. We've always wrote and demoed in, um, in cabins prior to recording the actual album. And then we go back and we show friends or family, you know, like the demos. I'm like, man, why don't you just put that out? 
Yeah. And so it kind of got us thinking these past couple of years since greetings came out, like maybe we should do that, you know, and worst case scenario, it's some really, really good demos, but um, mm-hmm. that's kind of our plan for next month um, and into the new year is making records out in um, just different cabins in East Tennessee or North Alabama or Georgia. Um, Cause you know, it's hilly. It's, you know, you get away from like, distractions and family and you can just like work until four in the morning and sleep in a little bit and start over as opposed to clocking in studio. Like I got to be home, you know, for dinner or whatever. Definitely. Yeah. And it's corny, but I mean, you get to be with the people, you know, your bandmates who you love and really get to make it a experience that you're just, I can't use the word lockdown because that's changed meanings this year, but I was going to say, you know, lock down with your friends and, yeah. Right. And we prefer to do it in the cold months because there's no distractions outside. Like if there's like a big fishing pond, like I'm going to want to go do that while it's nice. <laughs> Jet skis. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, it's nice when it's really cold. I mean, the, the first time we ever did that, we literally got iced in in Gatlinburg and we could not do anything. We couldn't leave it. I smoked cigarettes at the time. I remember smoking my last one and be like, Oh my God, what am I going <laughs> to do? You couldn't even walk down the hill. It was just solid yeah, ice. It's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, we've always liked that. And it's kind of going to, I think that's going to be a continued process for us. Well, you mentioned uh, Willy Wonka a moment ago, and that reminded me of the Magnolia Record Club. Um, let's talk about that for Medium Rarities. You're working with Magnolia Record Club to uh, put out a sky blue, very cool vinyl. Um, but along with that, I've heard mention of a golden ticket. And I just got to know, what? You know, like who's going to win and how's it, how's it going down? I don't know. We uh, know. there's just, a few people I know that don't that I know that I don't want to win. No, Thanks, no. few relatives. No, I'm just joking. Yeah, no. But the concept is that you have a golden ticket inside of. Okay, so Magnolia Record Clubs, they're putting out your vinyl. Um, and someone, how many are there? I think there's, there's only two. two. There's two tickets that exist out there. They haven't been won yet. Is that correct? No, no. Because they haven't even shipped no, we, yet. We were just signing, so we that's why it's going to be like a few days late sending it out. I guess. People at the factory got COVID. I guess it's going around. But uh, yeah. but it took a little bit to, yeah, that's why the, the records are running late by a few days. So that's where we were just, we were signing. And so I go, okay, we're going to slip the golden ticket in one of these damn things. You know, I got like the first, this first, first batch. Are they, uh, are they actual, like, what are the golden tickets like? I mean, are the, you know, describe them. Actually, it's just going to be put in the, in a random record. And uh, yeah. And it means... Free shows for life, right? I'm hoping it's like, yeah, I hope it like backfire, like a, I don't know, it's not like The Office or something, you know? Like, it's, it's like an ex-girlfriend. Yeah. It's like, yeah, oh. it's like, yeah. Somebody want child support or something? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. It's, but yeah, somebody approached us with that. I'm like, man, that's cool. I mean, it was Dawson, our man. Two, two, two tickets. I mean, we could probably, uh, you know, I can't think of anything we couldn't get somebody into unless we're going to open up a Bob Dylan again or something. Who knows? Right. Like, I can't imagine there's, or it might be hard for a festival thing, but I think that we'll probably figure it out. Put an asterisk on it. You know, you can yeah, change it as you yeah. go. Um, how did you get connected with the Magnolia Record Club and Drew Holcomb, right? Oh, um, we know Drew very well. and uh, I, I think management just kind of, you know, had that whole relationship going and mm-hmm. they, everyone came to us with it, right? Of course. Yeah, it's all about our buddies. I'll do it. And so, it's, I mean, it's literally like, Three or four miles down the street here. Okay. From my house. I remember uh, seeing a thing of you uh, talking. This was years ago. 
talking about some drink out of Nashville that you like to drink, some Bushwhacker or something like that. Oh, yeah. You still drinking those? I, no, that was like years and years ago. Yeah, Dude, I had to knock you on your ass, like two of those. Like... <laughs> and also, well, uh, it's just like everything else. Back then, that was like under our first record or something. We did those little things, and they wouldn't. I can't remember. We were going to go film around town or some of your favorite things, and I got denied like two or three places to film in. And uh, I was like, "Well, let's go in here." They have those milkshake bushwhackers that we kind of get as a joke. But now, I mean, it's kind of like. It, downtown, this wasn't like this back then, but now they have those fucking things at every place. Like it's right. every mm-hmm. honky tonk down, downtown. Like it's kind of like this, you know, they got the big machine in the back now making them. And like, it's kind of like natural hot chicken, you know, you can buy it everywhere and it's a big, I got gotcha. you. It it's used like to not a, be, it used to just be a few places. It's but. like a spring break, Long Island iced tea with like frozen with chocolate. It tastes exactly like the Wendy's frosty. Yeah but Ooh. super alcoholic. It's like, yeah, dude, it was it's like super, your face starts getting like, after like two or three, it's like, oh my yeah. God. It's pretty good. Oh I haven't had one in years, but, and they're filling too. And so usually if I'm going out there, I like to, I got to prolong my drinking and just drink the, you know, the weakest beers and, you know, <laughs> and just and take a shot behind my head or something. So I don't get too trashed. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta be there all night, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Well, just get you some bushwhackers, get your cabin in the woods, get out there, record your next album. Um, you guys, thank you so much for doing this today. Um, wish you all the best with Medium Rarities. Um, everyone out there listening and watching, definitely go order your vinyl copy from Magnolia Record Club. Um, all the best to you guys from here at Diddy TV in Memphis. Um, Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Hopefully see you soon. Very cool. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with the Wild Feathers. Be sure to listen to other DDTV podcasts for more from the leaders and legends in the Americana and Roots music scene. And don't forget to visit DDTV.com for more exclusive, on-demand content and to download the official DDTV app from your app store today. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money... Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at IntoHistory.com.